All right, welcome into the Duck Territory podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, hello. Basketball centric because we took a while a week off from the podcast. Times didn't work up, uh, link up for us to get together. And um, over about about twelve day period, there was so much stuff that happened from a football perspective, and so much stuff that happened from a basketball perspective that we both said we have to talk about this. We have to talk about that. We don't want to do an hour and 45-minute podcast. No one's going to listen to that. I like hour and 45-minute podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's just you. On a road trip. Some people like just the football stuff. Some people like just the basketball yeah, stuff. Let's split it up. So let's split it up. Uh, so if, if you are a Duck Territory subscriber, we thank you. If you are a month-to-month subscriber, consider going to an annual subscription. Or if you're a new subscriber and you're, you're ready to jump in, uh, subscribe to us for a, for a year. Your first year, it comes out to being $6.26 a month. That's like a $3.50 savings a, a month. It comes out to being almost like a $40 savings o- over the course of the year by doing that. Uh, or if you're uncertain and you, you're not sure if you want to make that, that one-year commitment, that's totally fine. We've got an option for you there as well. $1 for 30 days. Your first 30 days on the site is just $1. That's like going to McDonald's and getting a Diet Coke. Uh, that's exactly what it's, what it's going to cost. You can't beat that price for either of those options anywhere else in the network uh, or across the, you know, the, the Internet for Oregon sports coverage. Yeah. Uh, so let's get to basketball. And we were talking about how um, it's June 11th when we're doing this this podcast, and there's legitimately seven names on the board that Oregon could add to the to their roster for the 2019-2020 season. I've never seen that before. Well, and it's as many names as or- there's seven players they're looking at, and they only have seven players eligible oh, for some play. So I mean, it's this weird. It is such a bizarre thing. I, I, and we're talking five stars. Yeah, we're, we're talking, talking players. We're talking the number three grad transfer that for the entire offseason, not just available, just everybody. I mean, really good, impactful players. And, and, and this is, and we'll probably have a bit of a discussion on this. This is where the whole transfer portal and just kind of the way the dynamic has shifted in this sport is is made for really exciting and interesting off seasons because. I've never never yeah. been in a situation where it's like, my gosh, like Oregon could like have a completely different roster in ten days. Like yeah. they could have a fully they could have a full completely different arsenal. I mean, there's not even a reason for us to try to put together a, a starting lineup, starting five. That seems kind of pointless at this point because we know it's probably going to be different in ten days. Yeah, um, you know, it could be different. It in could be days. different later this week. Yeah, it could be different tomorrow when you listen yeah. to this podcast. I mean, things could have already changed. So there is just so much going on and. I think it's really fun from a, a, an entertainment perspective, but I know who it's not fun for. And I'm Altman, who I'm sure is going <laughs> His like, assistant coach, they're probably even more. Yeah, they're probably going like, my gosh, when do we get our vacation? When do we get our freaking break? Because yeah. we're, we're having to, to scrounge up to find guys. But uh, I think, again, I think the thing that we, we've said time and time again is like, you've got now seven players. They've added Anthony Mathis. We should mention the guys that added. Yes. Anthony Mathis from New Mexico. From New Mexico grad life. transfer prospect. Uh, he was the Lobos' leading scorer last year at 14 points per game. He played his prep basketball at West Lynn High School, and if that sounds familiar, that means he's high school teammates with Peyton Pritchard for three seasons. But it goes even deeper than that. Uh, the Pritchard family, I don't know if it's legally or if they just essentially adopted Mathis into their family during middle school. Um, it was explained to me that Mathis's parents got a job transfer and that they did not want to pull Mathis out of the Westland community. They did not want to, you know, separate him from his best friend, Peyton Pritchard. Uh, the Pritchard family stepped up and said, hey, then he can live with us until he finishes high school. So for 
I think like six or, or seven years, they lived together. And Peyton went on social media right. and kind of, I don't know if, it wasn't like a negative, you know, tweet, but it was like, people are calling me and, and Anthony, high school teammates, were more than that, were brothers, essentially is what he was saying. So the chemistry between these two guys is going to yeah. be, is going to be there. And it's a big get for Oregon, regardless of the connections with to, to Peyton and, or not. Yeah, well, let's just say for a second, it's really cool that you've got two best friends who get to finish out their college career. Oh, absolutely. Two highly successful players coming to play for the, basically the local school that they grew, grew up. I don't want to say we don't know if rooting for, but at least following. I mean, that, that's a cool story. I don't, I don't think you can kind of, you know, I think even if you were a fan of other schools and you kind of read about that, you'd like, how cool for those two guys to experience that and, and there's a chance now, depending upon how Oregon builds its roster, that Mathis, I don't expect him to be the leading scorer. I think Pritchard probably will be the leading yeah. scorer, but Mathis could be one of the team's top offensive guys. That's sort of his game. He's a very good three-point shooter. I think shot like 46% as a, as a, so, as a junior or a sophomore. Um, last year, I think it was like 42%, but he's going to be more than likely Oregon's best three-point shooter. And in a team that really struggled with that for yeah. most of last season, and you look at the roster, it doesn't really bring anybody back that shoots the three very well besides Pritchard. Rui Richardson shot in like the 20s. Uh, and doesn't really bring anybody in besides Chris Duarte, who's really very capable from three. This is a huge addition. And I think the fact, again, that he comes in familiar with the area, familiar with this program, I think potentially a, a huge addition. It'll be really interesting to see how he kind of fits into everything. Is he somebody that can be a starter? Is he somebody that comes off the bench and is kind of a Jason Calise from a, a year a while back where – he comes off the bench, but is just a, a huge part of them offensively. Finishes game, shoots the ball from three. Early. I think Clay shot like fifty percent from yeah. three. I don't know if we can expect him to replicate that, but certainly I think a really interesting addition and one that was frankly necessary. So when he committed or announced his commitment to Oregon, shortly thereafter, I got a text message from someone I know that that's uh, associated with Pac-12 basketball. He's on. A, he he works for another school in the conference, and. He texted me saying that's a really good get for Oregon. He's very familiar with him because of his times at, uh, of, of the, his work he has at his current school. And he said that Mathis isn't going to be the most athletic guard. He's not going to be the biggest shooting guard. He said he's going to be a thin guard. Uh, his handles aren't like a point guard, so you know don't expect him to be like Peyton Pritchard. Right. But he did say, mm-hmm. you know, if you give him a sliver of a look. At the at the hoop from three point land, he's gonna make it. Mm-hmm. He 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 said he's a dead eye shooter and that he can make a ton of threes. And if he gets hot, he's like a microwave. It's almost impossible to stop. And it, it's not a fair comparison at all. And it, it, it's gonna do him injustice. And if Dana Altman ever listens to our to this podcast in particular, Maybe we shouldn't finish the sentence. He's gonna get pissed at me for saying this. <laughs> if it's such a bad but it, it, he kind of has an effect of like what Steph Curry does, where. If you just give him a little clear look, he's going to more often than not make it. And if you get him into rhythm making those threes, then that's where the avalanche of points can come from. And so, like you said, Oregon at times really struggled from the perimeter last season, the last two years Mm -hmm. uh, in particular. And Mathis is going to be a a piece that's going to help solve that issue for Oregon. And with the three-point line now moving back further, that opens the lane more for a guy like Peyton Pritchard to drive and kick and create. And now he's got an option in Mathis. And I think they've got another option in Chris Duarte, who's also a good three-point shooter, where they can now put two guys out on the wings, Mathis on one side, Duarte on the other, let Peyton create for himself or kick it out for a three-point shot 
Or you can have Peyton have the ball at the top of the key or, or wherever on the court, and you can run Mathis and, and Duarte off a ton of ball screens and get them open. I think that th- moving the three-point line is probably something that is probably not being spoken about en- enough yeah. in the college basketball circles, and of course we're far out from the season. But that is significant. And, and just to put Mathis's game into perspective, he shot 71 two-point shots last year, and he shot 255 three-point shots. And this guy is pretty much primarily going to be a three-point threat. And that's basically what he does. And it's also interesting, the last two years, he actually shot basically better or about the same from three as he did from two. So, I mean, you're looking at somebody who is is extremely capable from distance, but probably going to be pretty limited going to the basket. Not somebody who took a lot of free throws. He shot about three free throws a game last year, which is pretty minimal for somebody who has the ball in their hands and is the team's leading scorer. So, But, yeah, again, I I think a really exciting addition, and, and now... You actually have a little bit of versatility with some lineups and stuff, and now, yep. now you can see Dan Altman actually start getting creative with what they're doing. Because when you have six guys, it's like <laughs> You're uh, we're, we're pretty limited in what we can do. Now you have seven, you can start thinking about other things to do. Um, and now, obviously, down the line, they're going to continue. We would think to add players, playing with yeah. seven players for a season, not not real tenable, but. Uh, a good start, and again, it's middle of June, and there's going to be a lot more activity. Uh, they also landed a commitment Monday night on the 10th of June from Eugene Umari from University of Rutgers, or is it Rutgers University? Uh, I think it's Rutgers University. Are you? Are you? And this is arguably one of the best returning big guys for, from the Big Ten next season, and he was one of the best big guys in the conference this past season. It's six foot seven, two hundred and thirty-five pound forward. He's kind of like a hybrid type of a guy. Like he could play small, he could play power forward, and if you really wanted to go small, he's, you know, for periods of, of moments or, or depending on the matchup, you know, the entire game, he could probably play center for you if, if you wanted. Yeah, small um, ball small center. Small ball center. Um, and he was seventh in the Big Ten in rebounding, uh, I think at like eight point eight rebounds per game. Seven point I pulled up seven point two. Seven point two. And then he was also I think eighteenth in the conference in scoring at thirteen or fourteen points per game. Thirteen point eight. Thirteen point eight. So I'm pretty close. You're uh, really close. And then on top of that he averaged like two point two or two point one assists per game. Two point four. Two point four. <laughs> Uh, that that this point is, too. I'm this really is a fun game. You, you, you kind of remember what you think the numbers were, and then I just sure, <laughs> sure. So you're, you're but you're getting yeah. a guy that that's versatile. It's very versatile. Can play multiple spots on both sides of the court, offense and defense. Now the catch with him is he's more than likely not going to be eligible. Yeah. Uh, his departure was a was kind of a shock from a Rutgers perspective. They were not expecting it. He was their best player coming back. Uh, and expected to be their best player next season. And he decided he wanted to play senior year somewhere else, I'm assuming probably because he wanted to play in a tournament. Rutgers is just Never historically good. They're historically terrible. Right. Uh, and so that kind of probably opened the door there. Um, but I just don't see what the case would be for him to get a waiver. But then again, at this point in time in the NCAA history, who knows with waivers? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, could, you could argue he has just as good of a case as he does – to not get cleared. Um, since we're making comparisons to Golden State Warriors, I, I made I drew the comparison to Draymond Green with Amamori. Uh, again, it's it's not perfect, and that's a ton to live up to. And I'm not the first one to make this comparison. Sure. You, you go on YouTube, and I think back in 2016 when he was a high school senior, they said the next the Canadian Draymond Green, and you watch it, and you see some similarities. But he is Canadian. He is Canadian, which we should mention. Uh, Oregon continuing some. What's that going to be? At least two players on next year's team that would be Canadian. I'm trying to think who's the other one. Is it Eric Williams or is he not Canadian? No, he's, he's not, not Canadian. Canadian. Uh, it, it, but, my, but the point with, with 
Amamori is that you watch him and physically there are similarities at six foot seven, two thirty five, similar build with Green. They both have long arms. I watched a very limited highlight tape, about two and a half minutes of, of him uh, from this last season, and you see him leading the break, kind of like Draymond Green does. He's capable of pass. Actually, makes a really really awesome pass on the highlight video, which I note in, in my film review, which you can go check out on the website. Um, I, I think I think potentially a really really good versatile player. He can defend the rim a little bit, kind of like Green does. Uh, I mentioned also in the story, he doesn't shoot like he has a backpack on, like Draymond. <laughs> yeah, have, you, have, you, have you seen the memes of yes. people putting a backpack on Draymond Green? Uh, this guy has better posture, I guess. <laughs> He's probably seen a chiropractor maybe a couple more times than Draymond Green. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, there are certainly some similarities, and again, it's an unfair com- comparison. We don't know what his role at Oregon will necessarily be in a couple of years. A lot of that will depend upon uh, kind of how Oregon fills out, whether or not he's eligible this year or the next. But I think somebody that is certainly capable of being your third best player on a really good team, yeah. where he's good defensively, does a lot of the dirty work on the glass, is able to uh, make some good plays defensively, and, and also distribute the basketball from the high post a little bit. I, I think a really nice addition, really. The way I look at this commitment is this is kind of a safety net. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that as... Um, a derogative, you know, a negative statement towards Eugene Amari's talent. No. But this is Oregon saying, hey, we, CJ Walker, an incoming true freshman for Oregon, potentially a one and done prospect as a power forward slash small forward kind of hybrid type guy. Mm-hmm. There's a legitimate chance that he could go pro after his freshman year. Let's bring in someone that we know that, that will sit this year, will compete against CJ all year in practice, learn our system, and play the role very similar to what CJ could play. If CJ leaves, we have a, we have a built-in replacement in the program, knows what he's doing. We don't have to teach him, you know, when he arrives in June and have that, you know, that rough two-month period because of a newcomer addition that types up during the season with Eugene Omari. CJ comes back for his June, his sophomore year. Now we've got an opportunity where. He, CJ may not start, or Eugene Amari might be the better player. Maybe they play together. Right. I, I don't know. But you've, you've, you've kind of positioned yourself where worst-case scenario and CJ leaves after his freshman year, you've now got his replacement uh, in Eugene Amari, and he'll have a year of experience under his belt of at least practicing. I think, I think that's a really good point, and I think part of me wonders if this is in some way a reaction to the last two off-seasons and a lot of off-seasons under Dan Altman where they've had to build and build and build. And like we've talked about on this podcast, yeah. this very off-season where it's mid-June and they're still team-building. Yeah. If you have now Eric Williams and Eugene Amare who are automatically on next year's team, there's not any questions that at least you have a little bit more of a core in place. Those guys aren't going to transfer no. or, or, or more than likely. It'd be weird if you... It'd be really, really weird. It would be strange. You'd have to have something off the court probably happen or some really, I don't know. But like, you, you're, what you're doing is I think is adding some stability to next offseason so you're not in the same situation where you're all of a sudden scrambling for five or six players, yeah. uh, you know, in May and June. Now at least you feel like you've got a couple of building block guys along with, you hope, CJ Walker, Francis Okoro, Will Richardson, uh, Chris Duarte, and Chandler Lawson and whoever else they add to this team. You're hoping that you're you're in a situation next offseason where it's like let's go find two guys rather than let's go find five guys. Yeah, let's just look at you know the twenty. It, it it's so crazy to do this, but I 100% agree with you. This now provides Oregon with some stability within the rotation of the offense because if if everyone that's currently on the team that's signed with Oregon returns for their next for their sophomore season or their second year in the program, and Francis Okoro and Will Richardson both return for their junior years. You now have a lineup 
in 2020 that you know, hey, we've got our center in Okoro, we've got a power forward in C.J. Walker, we've got a small forward in Eugene Amari, we've got a shooting guard in Chris Duarte, we've got a point guard in Will Richardson, and then, oh, by the way, we have Eric Williams and Chandler Lawson off the bench. Two, you know, 6'9", 6'6", hybrid type four guys that can play multiple positions. You have seven guys on the team next year, coming back from next year's group that will have a year of experience in the program. Now you don't have to go out and, yep. and find seven guys again. You could you can go out and find four. You can, I mean, we don't know what happens well, in terms of who they add for 2019. You could add three guys now that two of which could be an extra, and you've got nine guys going into the offseason, and you sign two in your recruiting class. Right. And you have, I mean, you, I just think I agree. The situation is, is much more tenable when you have this many guys locked in. And I think if I, – this is something I'm going to ask Dan Altman at his next media availability, but – I'm just speculating until then, but I think this is potentially an adjustment that Oregon is making with the constant change and uncertainty and fluidity of college basketball now, of rosters always being, you know, having to be retooled, is Oregon is, Oregon is always, since Dan Altman has been here, wanted to have a, a scholarship open during the season for a mid-year transfer or, sense, yeah. or, or some kind of a late addition in, in the summer like a Eugene Amari. Um, but I think now the shift, this is just me speculating, but I think the shift now is going to, let's try and always have one or two or maybe even three guys who are redshirting as a transfer from another program for, our, you know, and, and supplementing those guys with high level one and done, two and done, yeah. maybe three and done high school prospects and, com- you know, blending those two together and that's creating your recruiting class. I think it makes a ton of sense. I think it's something we'll probably talk be talking more and more about just the, with the way college basketball and the transfers go. I think Oregon and a lot of the schools, all the schools, have to get creative in how they want to handle yeah. this because there's just too, there's too many guys moving schools. There's Oregon has now gotten into the one and done thing where they've now lost three one and dones in the last two two years after not having a single one and done in like a hundred years of history. It's just a different landscape, and Oregon is, is right in the middle of it and dealing with it probably as much, if not more, than a lot of schools, certainly on the West Coast, probably dealing with it more than anybody else right now. And I think they're just trying to figure out what works. And I think on paper, this looks like a good strategy. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, the caveat is these guys have to be good players. You, you don't want to just fill your, your 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 scholarship roster just to fill your scholarships. Um, but I think in Williams and, and now Omari, you've got two quality players who, when 2020, 2021s come around, you're going to have some guys to build around that are experienced veteran players, whereas this year, I think you'd love to. Yeah. If, these, if these guys were both eligible this year and they both sat last year, you'd yeah. probably feel a little better about that. Oh, 100%. If, you know, if both those guys are going, to, are going to be impactful players once they become eligible for Oregon. It's just a matter of, does Oregon try and get Williams and Omari eligible for, get waivers and eligible for this upcoming season? You or have to try, probably. Yeah, you probably have to try. Is it realistic? I don't know. Um Real quick, wrapping things up with this podcast, what's next for Oregon basketball? Who's next? Who's still on the board? Um, I I think the big one that everyone's waiting on now is what does Shakur Justine do in terms of his commitment? Does he look somewhere else? Does he open up new avenues of of schools that he wants to visit? Or is he going to commit to Oregon? He was just on campus uh, for Eugene over the weekend for an official visit. Uh, Oregon's assistant coach Tony Stubblefield led their recruitment there. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with who Shakur Justine is, uh, ESPN uh, just 
Borzillo does a really good job. Um, he has, and it, it's, I think it's something that as a, as a site, 24 seven sports needs to, to get into. I agree. I think this is really smart. Um, Jeff Borzillo has a ranking of the top 50 immediately eligible transfers and then the top 50 sit one play blank transfer, meaning, you know, Eric Williams and, um, Eugene Omari, they rank, Eric Williams ranks sixth, I believe, or yeah. Eric Williams ninth among guys that have to sit and then play and then has years to play. And then Eugene Amari ranks 12th, uh, from, for this offseason. That's, that's not, that's not the guy's best available. That's just every player that's announced, he's ranked. So there's guys that are committed to other schools. Um, you know, so Eric Williams and, uh, Amari are really big time gets from a, from a sit one and then having to play a couple years transfer perspective. Uh, immediately eligible transfers, that's historically grad transfers. Um, Shakir Justine is the number three player in his rankings. The only guys higher than him are Kerry Blackshear Jr., who's a redshirt junior from Virginia Tech that was considering going pro or playing his ball at another school considering Florida, Texas, uh, Kentucky, um, Tennessee, I believe, or maybe even going back to Virginia Tech because of Buzz Williams' departure. Um, the second guy is Nate uh, Sestina, a big man that's signed with Kentucky. Uh, and then there's Shakur Justine at number three. Justin Pierce, a guard, going to North Carolina. And Adam Gilder is the fifth best player going to Gonzaga, another guard. So you're, you're getting a guy that's, you know, I think of Justine as an all Pac-12 caliber player. And he's six foot seven. He's 220 pounds. He can play the small forward. He can play the power forward. He could probably play small ball if he wanted to. He was the number one ranked junior college, excuse me, junior college prospect in 2018. And, He's a guy that if Oregon gets him, they go back to being, in my opinion, a top 25 program. Yeah, I forget who it was, but somebody tweeted something about how Oregon's on, got a lot of momentum right now. And if they do, they mentioned Shakir Justine by name. And if they do get him, Oregon is, suddenly becomes a very likely tournament team. And I absolutely agree with that. And I still think, even if it doesn't work out... I still think they're a tournament team with still, seven they guys. They still can be a tournament team. I think they're really talented. They, they just need depth. And that yeah. that's where it gets interesting. And, and there are... We said earlier, seven guys, including Justine, out there's, there that, that, that are like active targets that could play. Yeah, there's seven guys that we know of right now that are legitimately considering uh, 2019 Oregon basketball. And then there's a couple more guys um, that could reclass or, or what have you and jump into that picture as well. And that number grows even more. So Oregon's got a couple pieces. I mean... They, there's a couple high school guys that have emerged because of grades or, or, you know, being cleared by the NCAA and now all of a sudden they've blown up. You know, does Oregon add one of those guys or both of those guys? Do they add a, a, a grad, a grad transfer like Justine? Um, does another grad transfer emerge? I think there's a couple guys looking down the list of eligible guys that could help this program. Yeah, there's still a lot of guys uncommitted. And so I, I think this is going to be a scenario where, you know, Ideally, Oregon wants this to be done as soon as possible. But it wouldn't surprise me if we're waiting on roster additions for Oregon all the way until maybe August. And that's when we get a clear indication of this is what the basketball team is going to look like. Hey, and that's just the way. I don't think we're going to see anything change going forward. This is just the world we live in with college basketball right now, and for better or for worse, it's just the way it's going to be. I don't, I don't see it changing. I don't see it, it going back to the way it used to be. I think it's again. I think as a as a fan and a consumer of news, I kind of think it's fun that there's all this stuff going on. 
Yeah, Probably sure. not with the staff. I'm, just, I'm sure every college coach wholeheartedly disagrees <laughs> and hates that that's my stance. But I, I just think the fact that it's, again, mid-June and we're talking about college basketball and we have a reason to be talking about college basketball in some way is healthy for the sport. Just how uh, the NBA dominates the conversation during the season and then into the NBA offseason, college basketball is finding a way to kind of do that as well, albeit sort of a weird form. And I don't know. It's basically become free agency. Yes. 100% it has. Uh, that's going to do it for this podcast. For Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Frame, thanks for listening. Go subscribe to DuckTerritory.com if you aren't. $1 for your first 30 days, or if you want to go in deeper and give a, a year commitment, uh, make your commitment to us, and you can get $6.26 a month for your annual subscription. That's about $3.50 off what it historically has cost. Cheapest price, either option, that's currently out there for a website like ourselves. So go to DuckTerritory.com and subscribe today. For Eric and myself, Matt, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Sayonara.